the results of sin, coming up today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. The way sin is so often portrayed in today's world, you think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. What they don't often tell you are the catastrophic results. So today on Abounding Grace, we pause to consider the results of sin as described for us in Genesis chapter 3. We'll also be encouraged that there is a way out and a way to be an overcomer. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor focusing on Genesis chapter 3. Notice now in verse 16. To the woman, he said, God speaking, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. And in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So now this is the first connection of pain with sin from God's perspective. Now I think they already had a connection with pain or discomfort with the fig leaves in the private areas of their body. But now God is saying sin will bring pain. And I know as Marie and I were raising our kids as believers, we were always wanting to associate pain with sin in some way. It wasn't punitive. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't, you've made me mad, so go to your room. Our intent was to associate sinful behavior with a commensurate level of pain. Because in the home, parents are very gracious and kind and loving. It's not going to be like that in the world. The world is very vicious and harsh when it comes to sin. Uh, it, it, is not, it is not favorable to, you're not going to get away with stuff in the world. So you need to learn that pain associates with sin so that you might stay away from sin. And here he's associating with childbirth anytime. Now, of course, I don't know uh, this multiply. I don't know the multiplication of sorrow and in pain bringing forth child. I don't know that personally, um, but I've been at three births uh, and it was from all observations, a very painful time for my wife, my girlfriend for our first child. And um, now my wife with our other two, it was very painful. And of course, you ladies that have experienced that, you could tell that testimony. It was a very painful experience, which implies that if the fall didn't take place, that it wouldn't have been painful, which would be very interesting of what that might have been like. But we haven't experienced that. We didn't get to experience paradise apart from sin. So pain and sorrow comes with childbirth, the association of pain with sin. Remember Satan's promise to Eve, the deception, was he promised pleasure and fun. Well, what was the result? Pain. That's what sin, that's the temptation of sin. Remember, the question is, well, why do you sin? I can tell you why you sin. You like it. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't freely assess all the consequences that could come and do it anyway. That's why, that's why you could have a very best friend that you grew up with. You've been, to, been best friends for 30 years. And why the temptations you deal with are not the temptations she deals with. And you go, but what does that mean, Ed? 
Well, because different, you like different sin than your best friend. So that you might look at your best friend and go, oh, I can't believe it. Why would you do that? Why would you fall for that? I can't believe it. I would never fall for that. Well, that would not be a good way to treat your best friend. Because I'm certain that there are things in your life that would never affect your friend. Because the devil knows. He has schemes. We're not, the Bible says, we're not ignorant of his devices. And his devices are to singularly tempt us in the areas. He didn't go after Adam. He went after Eve because then Eve, and you know, obviously he doesn't have all knowledge. He's just making assumptions here. But I believe he went after Eve for the deception and then allowed Eve to take care of Adam. He never went after Adam. Because there's devices. He's schemer. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. And Eve's desire now, what, what the devil offered, this pleasure and desire, ended up being sin. And then notice part of the curse now was something fundamentally changed inside of women, inside of Eve. This is unique. This is the curse on Eve and all the daughters of Eve. This is unique. The desire now will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, now reading in the English version, that doesn't sound like that's a big a deal. I mean, it does kind of sound like, what do you mean? He'll rule over me. Nobody rules over me. Nobody. But, but you're not, you have to understand the Hebrew language here and really understanding the essence of this. This is a difficult passage of Scripture to be taken in by many women over the ages, and it's been misused by many men as well. I think it's, again, it's part of the confusion of the enemy. He likes to confuse things. He doesn't want us to know the truth. He doesn't want us to live in the truth. He wants us to be upset even with each other, even in our marital relationships. He wants us to be selfish and self-centered, so he confuses things that God clearly says. He's kind of telling him, this is your future. I'm going to define for you how hard it's going to be because of what you did. And this is what the future is, and it's very gracious of God to do. He didn't have to do that. He could have let them experience it on their own. But God loves them, even after sin. He didn't stop loving. And let's begin, first of all, with this text, this passage, by what it's not saying. It's not saying that the wife is to be a doormat or the slave of her husband. It's not saying that the man is inherently better than the woman. It's not saying that God hates women. Uh, it's not saying that men are superior. It's not saying that women need to live in an abusive home or be beat up or anything like that. That's not what the Bible is saying at all. In order to get clarity on this, I think, first of all, we need to focus in on this word desire. So you can mark it there in verse 16 at the end. Your desire will be for your husband. Now, the Hebrew word there is much more than you will like him. And I want to show you where it's used in another place. Would you just turn the page in Genesis to chapter 4 in verse 7? The same word is used to describe something totally different. Notice, and he ties it together here in the very beginning. He says in verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Same language. So the idea here in chapter 4 is that sin wants to master your life, wants to take control of your life, wants to take an unhealthy lead in your life. And I think that's still with us today. Sin wants to master us, knocking at the door, wants to rule us, wants us to present ourselves to sin. It has a desire, and now he's personifying sin so that we might understand that 
sin wants to rule over us. If we pull back now the definition of that word in the context of chapter 3, what God is telling Eve is, is you're going to have an unhealthy desire to control your husband. It's going to be unhealthy. You're going to have an unhealthy desire to rule over your husband. Your sin is going to, con- going to create ongoing conflict in your marriage. Because you're going to want to take inherently the lead. Eve chose to act independently of Adam in the garden. And going forward, there will be an ongoing battle of the flesh. And because of sin, wives will have the same desire to rule over their husbands, just as sin desires to rule over you. And this becomes, this is the battle of the sexes. This is where it started right here. The battle between men and women. This is where... So much confusion and chaos has taken place where people, where there's unhealthy relationships between men and women, unhealthy relationships and marriages. Even a man uh, now taking this passage that he will rule over you and, and using it like a phrase of king. No, the ruling over the wife is to help bring order back into the home, divine order. We learned last time, remember, we, we view within the scriptures, we, have, we take a complementarian view of scripture when it comes to men and women, comes to leadership in the church. We, have a, we, we explain those two views in depth. But what's more important is not our view of, of how God uses people in church. That's not as important as God's view of men and women being together. They are to complement one another. It's not just the woman complimenting the man. It's also the man complimenting the woman. That's what's important. We get caught up in all the disagreement. We want to argue. Oh, everybody's place in the church and roles in the church. That, that, is, that is just a distraction because God's heart is for us to complement one another, both in marriage and in ministry, to value each other as the one that's created in the image of God, to help one another, to serve one another, And to recognize, for women today, you have to recognize in the flesh, there can be an unhealthy desire in you to rule over your husband. You just have to acknowledge that. Now, I don't know where it is in your life. I'm not sure if you've even experienced it, but it's part of the curse. If you have it, it's part of the curse. And it's unhealthy. And if husbands, if you come to this passion, you go, well, I have been put in to rule the roost. Well, that's unhealthy as well. That's sinful. You're to compliment your wife, not to be an overlord, to be the absolute authority. In marriage, it's a team. And so it is in the family of God. We're to love one another. We're to be gracious to one another. We're to serve one another. We're to build one another up. We're to edify. We're not to tear down. We're not to seek to harm the one that's closest to us. The Bible says that we leave our mother and father and what? We come together and we cleave. And it's our responsibility to create an environment where we want to cleave, where we want to be together. And of course, how does this apply in the single life? Well, you have different relationships prior to marriage that we complement one another in the body of Christ. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. But it's important that we learn to follow the divine order so that God will give us the direction. I've studied, we've taught this in depth in other places, Corinthians in other places, if you want to hear it verse by verse. But this is what's happening here. And I want you to think of one more thing here about how much God loves Eve. <laughs> Eve gets all of the flack here, and she shouldn't. They're equally sinful before God. Don't forget that. And God holds Adam responsible, not Eve. 
for bringing sin. He's the federal head. He's our representative. He's the one responsible for allowing sin to be spread throughout humanity. But I want you to go back now and let's put this together. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but in verse 15, Eve is, uh, is given direction about, you know, the difficulty of, well, first when he's talking to the serpent, I should say, um, talking about her seed. So he's prophesying here. He's prophesying she's going to have children. Not only that, but he's also prophesying in verse 16, it's going to be hard and it's going to be different. I just want you to see something here. It's so cool. The grace of God. I'm telling you, if you look for the grace of God throughout the Bible, you'll find it on every page. This is so cool because the seed of the woman, I just, I just love how God turns everything on its head and says it's through women that salvation will come to the world. I know she gets pointed. She's the one that ate first. Okay. But she's also the one through whom the savior of the world will come through. And he redeems and restores something that would easily have been thrown away. Can't believe you did this, Eve. What's your problem? You know, Adam, it's the woman you gave me. Yeah. And the woman you gave me is going to bring forth Messiah and rescue us. Isn't that great? I mean, that's the grace of God. Like, and if we look for grace in each other, and we look for grace in serving one another. And we're just looking for ways to, we can see not only the sin, but the restoration of God. We can see, you know, I was just like today on the radio, like that somebody asked about alcoholism and can an alcoholic be saved? Of course, a person that's a drunkard can be saved. Of course, of course, God can speak through all of that. But what it led me is, is that I'm not, I, I don't believe it's a wise thing that if you have been delivered from alcohol to continue to identify yourself as a slave to alcohol, which is what alcoholic is. Uh, you know, and I had to go to AA uh, many years ago, a court mandated, and I had to stand up before everybody, give my testimony. Hello, I'm Ed and I'm alcoholic. Oh, hello, Ed. And I've been sober XYZ and all of that. If a believer goes into an alcoholic anonymous meeting for encouragement and support, I just don't believe you're telling the truth when you stand before that group and say, I am Ed, an alcoholic. You're not anymore. You are a new creation of Christ. Old things have passed away. God has broken the stronghold. He has delivered you from that past sin. And all you need to do is walk in the newness of life, moment by moment and day by day. That identity that we have, and, and the point that I would make here is that so many times we identify people by their sin, and that's wrong. It's not their past. They're not a recovering such and such. They're not, well, I know what you did 10 years ago. No, it's 10 years ago. So they are a new creation today. Even believers that have maybe stumbled, prodigal, got into stuff they shouldn't get into. We aren't going to hold the past against you, but rather we're going to point you to the upward call of Christ. You aren't that anymore. Now, if you want to be that, you can present yourself to sin. Romans chapter 6, I think, says and you can be a slave to sin if you want. I guess if you want to get up in the AA meeting and saying, I am Ed and I have chosen to be a slave to sin, you could say that. You could say that. That's a, that would be accurate. But then as you're saying it, you're spoke, speaking forth the word and God could free you from it. And you, who wants to say that the rest of their lives? And I was thinking it came up uh, in the program where I'm just thinking of Rahab, right? We know Rahab. Many people think Rahab, her name, you know, her first name is Rahab, her middle name is The, and her last name is Harlot, because that's how she's recognized. She's often referred to that in the Bible. God used Rahab very greatly in the scriptures, and yes, she was in the sex industry. Yes, she did sell her, her body. Yes, 
And you know, God redeemed that part of her life. Created an environment so the spies could come in and be hidden. It wouldn't be unusual for men to come in and out of. And it was also a God appointment for her that she wasn't going to be a harlot the rest of her life. By those spies. Saved her through the red, red cord, remember? It's the crimson red line throughout the whole scriptures. So that when, if you get to heaven before I do, I'm going to teach you right now. I don't want you walking around heaven. You want to meet Rahab. I don't want you walking around heaven saying, is Rahab the harlot here? Rahab the harlot, where are you? I know some angel's going to come and go, shh, boom, and pop you in the back of the head. There's no harlots in heaven. You can look for Rahab the saint, and Rahab the sister, and Rahab the redeemed, but Rahab the harlot is gone. And that's the testimony of your life. That's the delivering power of God in your life. That even Eve, making such a horrible decision, we're not going to stand in judgment on her. God redeemed her. God brought the seed through Eve. I'm going to save you from the same, same person that started it all with the right humble brokenness. I'm going to use that same person and I'm going to turn this around. What the, as, we learn in, as we'll learn later on in a long time, we'll be in Genesis 50. When we get there, at the end, let me show you, give you a sneak peek. Genesis 50, turn over there so you can see it in your Bible. We're going to get a sneak peek of this in its more fullest sense. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph is there. All is redeemed. He's looking at his brothers. It's a glorious time. Very hard, but very beautiful. And what does he say? Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And so let me just tell you, you can thank Eve today that you know Jesus Christ because it was through Eve that the seed came, just like God predicted. He didn't throw away Eve, didn't toss her to the side. God didn't shame her, guilt her. He redeemed her and he restored her. And she's now a part of the testimony of all of us that get to experience new life. And in the seed, I want you to think of this as well, even along the lines of of identifying ourselves by our sin and what we've done in the past, and I'm always going to be this way. You're not always going to be this way. Temptations in your life don't define you. Your identity is in Christ. And you should email me. Email me this week. You're listening on the radio. Email me at ed at edtaylor.org and ask specifically for information on your identity, and I'll send it to you. And you can just start meditating on what God thinks about you and who you are, who you are in Christ what you have in Christ. But let me give you just one thing that you have in Christ. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ today, two, some 2,000 years um, later now, we're later from the cross and six, 7,000 years from the beginning of time. Here we are experiencing life and goodness because why? Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. Affirmed it when he rose again. He is victorious over sin. His life is victorious over sin. He's defeated it. So you and I now, for in our lives, we're not buried by our sin. We don't work for victory. We don't have to have major efforts to stay away from sin. And it's, it, it's not like that. We don't have to fight like that. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. I mean, it's a silly illustration, but I mean, if you play, if you play baseball and you already know you're going to win, you're going to probably play the game a little differently. 
especially if you're down 50 to nothing. If you're down 50 to nothing, but you already know you're going to win, you're not going to stress it. You're not going to go look for, so it's like, you're just, you're, you're going to play and have fun because you know, somehow it's going to, you don't know how, but God said you're going to win. So you're going to enjoy it. You're not going to freak out. You're not going to quit. You, you're going to move forward. So at the end you go, oh no, I, mean, I know we're 50 down, but I'm victorious in Christ. I know it doesn't look good right now, but it's going to look good at the end. I know it's hard now, but it's going to be fine at the end. Why? Because of what Jesus did in the past. And that's all right here in Genesis, right here, just in these couple verses. It's so encouraging. It most certainly is. Once again, if you'd like to take Pastor Ed up on that offer for information on your identity in Christ, just email him now at ed at edtaylor.org. You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can listen through our app. That can be found in the App Store or Google Play by searching for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, we've got a new resource to talk about today, and this one comes from Warren Wiersbe on being a servant. This is an essential. Now, we pick books every month. Uh, to coincide with our book of the month for our church that we also connect with our uh, on the radio broadcast here and then on oneplace.com where our broadcast is heard around the world. Uh, we, we pick these books. I think they're all essential, but this has to be top of the list, one of the top of the list, because this is an, uh, this simple yet powerful, even written in a way you can do it in a month devotional on how to serve God better. Warren Wearsby, who's gone home to be with the Lord now, uh, is, is a man that was filled with biblical wisdom uh, through his commentaries, through his teaching, and through his various books. This is a keeper. Uh, and, and this is the kind of book. So I read it at least once a year, and I just want to be refreshed. And, and as I'm reading it, I'll come to page, you know, I don't know, 55, and I'm reading something. And, you know, this is the kind of book where I'm like, that's where I got that from. Like it, I've so absorbed some of these truths that I kind of think they're my own, but I actually learned them uh, from Wearsby. I mean, that happens with Skip Heitzig or Greg Laurie or Spurgeon or Wearsby. Like you're reading and that becomes yours. You like own it, but then you're going through and you go, that's where I learned it. It belonged. God gave it to that man and that man taught me. And that happens a lot with Wearsby. Get this book. It'll make you a better servant. It'll equip you for the ministry. It will encourage you and it'll help you disciple. Maybe you're discipling your kids, pouring into them. It's something you can do with your kids, talking to them about serving Jesus. That's They're never too young to serve the Lord. So get it, support the ministry here or get it wherever uh, you get books, but just get it and grow in the grace of God. Again, that's On Being a Servant by Warren Wiersbe. Yours for a gift of $25 or more to help us continue the work of abounding grace on stations all across the nation. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Now let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3 for the rest of Pastor Ed's message. Verse 17, then Adam said that, he, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the, tr- the tree which I've commanded you, that you shall not eat of it, cursed on the ground for your sake. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth to you. And you shall eat herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Wages of sin is death, right? Because he says, out of it you were taken, to dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
I want to be very careful here that you understand. Work is not the curse. There was work before the curse. They tended the garden, took care of the garden. Work is not the curse. You go, Edward, you don't work where I work. Work is not the curse. And even those that might come on, you know, to team here, to work here, I always remind them, this is in heaven. Like, you're not coming to work at heaven. Um, quite the opposite. We're all waiting for heaven. Amen? We all want heaven to come down in the presence of Jesus. So work is not the curse. It, it is the toil and the sweat and the hard and the difficult and the stacks of paper and learning the computer and the new, all of that, tilling of the ground. And that's the curse. That work isn't as enjoyable as it was prior to the fall. And it does take a lot of effort to make work enjoyable. Even if you have something that you like doing, that you love doing, that you're just good at, you still have your hard days. Amen? Pastor Ed Taylor on the curse sin brings. And with that, we'll say goodbye, but come back next time for Abounding Grace when we'll enter chapter 4 of Genesis. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.